Hello, our dear Monument Church family. We are missing seeing you all so very much. Uh, before we get into this week's message from Philippians 2 from Eric Santiago, I want to take a moment to update you on a couple of things and then Ash uh, will encourage us. Firstly, we've been looking for ways to tangibly love our city during this challenging time. And this past Thursday, just three days ago, we provided lunch for more than 100 employees of the Shady Grove Rehab Center where one of our members works. They were so appreciative. Uh, we have also sent notes of encouragement to all of our members uh, of our congregation who we aware, are aware of who are working on the front lines. We're so grateful to you for what you're doing, for your courage, and we continue to pray for you. Also, God has strategically placed us at Brown Station Elementary School, at least when we're able to meet on Sundays, that's where we are. And Brown Station is a Title I school that largely serves a fairly poor community. And we've been blessed with an excellent relationship with the principal, Mary Jo. And at her request, we have provided a number of gift cards to help some of the neediest families in the school community. We have also partnered with Women Who Care Ministries. That's a local Christian organization dedicated to feeding the poor in the Gaithersburg, Montgomery Village area. We've donated money to them uh, to buy food and have begun serving with them, packaging and distributing food to needy families in the Brown Station Elementary area. If you would like to either serve or donate to this worthy cause, please get in touch with us at info at monumentchurchdc.com. The second thing is I want to uh, point us ahead to our second Zoom church prayer meeting that's happening this coming Wednesday night, 8 to 8.40 in the evening. It's short and sharp. Uh, we had a fantastic first Zoom prayer meeting a few weeks ago. Uh, we learned a few things of how to pray by Zoom with lots of people. We had some very funny moments last time with uh, mics being left on unmuted and so on. It was just such a fantastic family time uh, praying together. So please do join us Wednesday 8 to 8.40 p.m. We'll send you the details. And excitingly, we've got Daniel and Marsha Yu, who lead a church in a very challenging, exciting situation in Thailand. They're going to be zooming in. We're going to be hearing from them for a few minutes, praying for them, amongst other things, praying for our own nation, community, and for one another. So Wednesday night, 8 p.m., please join us. It's great fun and so important that we keep praying together. I just want to encourage us these days that we're staying at home. We're all in a storm of sorts and uh, we'll all be experiencing the storm a little bit differently. For some of us, it's super stormy and we've got loved ones who are sick or we're on the front lines and exposed to sadness every day. Some of us, it's a bit more relaxing and we're at home with family and we feel safe and grateful to be well. Some of us are with families and we feel a bit like we're in a submarine and we wish that we could see some different people and we need a bit of a break. And some of us are alone and um, wishing we weren't alone and needing more people. Um, some of us have had babies, which is super exciting, but you can't get close to family. Some of us um, have lost loved ones. Some of us have had to postpone marriages. It's just, there's so many things going on, not to mention the day-to-day, -day, just walking with Jesus, but trying to keep our minds in a sane place and not spiraling with uncertainty and stuff. So I just want to encourage us. Jesus spoke so much about storms and he, how he came to the disciples or he was in the boat. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is one who understands. Mm -hmm. Hebrews uh, chapter 4 
verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So I just want to encourage us to keep encouraged, to keep approaching the throne of grace with confidence, to help us in our time of need, coming to the one who's been tempted in every way, just as we have been, whatever we're walking through in these days. And as we do that, let's also lean into God's word together as Eric brings us the next round in our series in Philippians. Philippians. Hello, Monument. Well, it's great to be continuing in our Comfort and Courage series through Philippians. Uh, there's so many things that this book offers us. And as we get into chapter two, uh, we really see how Paul continues to just blow wind in their sails to comfort and encourage the Philippian church. And as this whole coronavirus pandemic took hold, we looked through scripture to go, what would be uniquely appropriate to this time? A time when we're feeling a particular discouragement and particular discomfort with everything that's going on. And so we'll see today that Paul is gonna help us with that. But the, the problem is, though we know those things are available in scripture, and those, those things are available in the person of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, sometimes we can't always access that. You know, it's like, yes, I know we should be encouraged, I know we should be comforted, but why am I not right now? <laughs> and I think Paul helps us with that as we dive in to chapter two of Philippians. So let's go right now uh, to see how Paul is gonna help guide and steer us as we start in verse one. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So in the way of backdrop, we know from the end of chapter one, that Paul begins to address some disunity that's arisen among the Philippians. And it's clear that, that part of that has come from the uh, external pressure that they're under. They were facing persecution, and he doesn't draw straight lines, but I can only imagine, given what's going on on the outside, is actually affecting what's going on inside the church. And so he poses these wonderful rhetorical questions, or at least that's the way the New Living Translation puts it. And that's why I read that translation, because he kind of poses these things to the Philippians. And so my first point is unity starts with self-awareness and Christ-awareness. We've gotta be able to take a look at what's going on inside of us, and then we've gotta be able to look at Jesus in order to align these things. And the key to unity is aligning our own self-awareness with an awareness of Jesus. So as he dives in, I love how he uses these questions. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Well, of course, we can imagine that the answer to these questions is an unequivocal yes. 
These are rhetorical questions, uh, but he helps us remember the right questions. And I think one of the things that we've got to recognize is that we weren't facing or aren't facing external persecution right now, but we are facing uh, some incredibly discouraging and discomforting external pressures that kind of force us to ask some of the same questions. I love the way the message translation puts it. In the first two verses, it says this. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. So when we're confronted with the fact that we have gotten all of these things out of following Christ, that being a part of the body of believers means so much to us, all of a sudden we sort of reawaken to how vital the Spirit of God living in us is. And we go, wait a second, it's true. I've gotten so much out of this. I've been gifted so much in the way of my relationship with Christ. And so, yes, Paul, what, what was it that you were saying? What should I do then? How do I respond to this? And so he asks us these questions and he poses these things because the answer is, ah, yes, we've gotten so much and we have been given so much. Again, we're not under persecution, thankfully. We can still worship, at least in a limited way, uh, by not being able to gather. But the pressures that are coming to us right now are still external and they still, I think, cause us to turn inward. Right? Isn't it easy under the circumstances to start to kind of look out for number one, to become inwardly focused, to become less outwardly charitable toward others, putting others' interests above our own? These things can subtly start to creep into our hearts and have us preserve our own territory in the midst of stress and struggle. And so, you know, choosing to preach through this book was such a key parallel to what they were experiencing. And I imagine that where they may have had strife within the context of the church, hard for us to have, we can't even meet together, but how about your own homes? How about your workplace, whether it's an online one or you're an essential worker and you're reporting to work? This whole thing has put us all just in a bit of a state that has us potentially responding to one another not in the way that Paul describes. Um, I know, you know, when I first heard of all of this and the toilet paper shortage, I told my wife, all right, I'm gonna go to Costco and see if I can get one of those big 30 mega rolls. And she goes, that'd be great because I was thinking we could actually make care packages for all of the neighbors and we could put a roll of toilet paper in there. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like, I was kind of thinking of that toilet paper for us though. Um, and, and, and on top of that, isn't it a little weird to give all of our neighbors a roll of toilet paper? But it's just easy to start to gravitate toward thinking like, okay, you know, and of course, toilet paper isn't a big deal. Well, I suppose it's a bigger deal if you don't have it. But you know how this goes. It's the small, subtle, little things at times where we just start looking out for ourselves and kind of clawing for things in order to protect, uh, really our own lives. And, and this is what Paul is saying, ah, but, but actually look to Jesus. Look how he worked and operated uh, with the people all around him. And so we've gotta be careful to recognize that under this kind of pressure, we'll inevitably act in selfish ways. 
How's the tone of your home right now? Whether it's roommates that you live with or your own family, do you find yourself being easygoing, uh, looking after the interests of others? Or is there some bickering happening? Is there some tension and strife, some disunity that may not be church disunity, but actually family disunity? And after all, that's what the church is anyway. And so I think this gives us a unique opportunity to consider the same things uh, that Paul was helping the Philippians with. So my first point was that unity starts with self-awareness and Christ-awareness. My second point is actually that worship aligns our hearts and minds with Christ. You know, Paul's encouragement to them starts out by having them kind of look at what's going on in their hearts, kind of wondering and evaluating exactly how it is that what they believe and what they know they've been given affects the way they treat one another. Well, then he continues in verse five after those first four verses. And what he does here is absolutely extraordinary because not only does he begin to just extol the virtues of Christ, but this is actually sort of an early church hymn or song. So what happens is Paul just breaks out in song. And that's so important for us to understand because it's, it's one thing for Paul to ask these probing questions about these people. And he could continue, hey, Philippians, let's figure out the psychology of why you do what you do. But in, and, and there's value in that. But instead of doing that, he actually throws himself into worship in the middle of this letter. I mean, in some translations, it's in stanzas, just like a worship song might be written. And so let me just read it now and let's look at it together. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or basically he means have the same attitude as Christ. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this to me is honestly why the musical has endured for so long. Because some things can't just be said, right? It actually has to be sung. You have to break the narrative and just break out in song. Now, to be totally honest, the musical is not like my most preferred format, but actually there's something about breaking out in song, whether it's a song of love to someone or a song about freedom or any of those kinds of things that happen in your classic musicals that actually seems to be what Paul is doing right here. And what he's saying is now, forget everything about everything else and let's just thrust our eyes to Jesus. Let's just behold him and look at him. And he says, look at this. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is so often what we need to find the courage and comfort that we lack in our daily lives and that we can't really find anywhere else. You know, my question to you and a question that I've been asking myself is how often do I just drop everything in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the potential strife, 
in the midst of the uncertainty and the difficulty, do I just drop everything and worship Jesus? I'm not a great singer, but I find that actually as I begin to sing, and I just sing the glory of Jesus, I just sing the virtues of God and all of the gifts that I have in him, all of a sudden everything just starts to fade away. And Paul knew that. He knew that you could keep analyzing and picking apart the situation, but nothing was gonna be a remedy like just beholding the person of Jesus and all that he did, and all that he did in his humility and in his obedience. And that's the thing that I find so beautiful here is that when we look at the person of Jesus, we're not just awestruck, we're re-inspired by the revelation of who he is and how we can pattern our lives after his. And that brings me to the third point that I think we can identify in this passage. Our aim is obedience and humility is the key. So when Paul is speaking to the Philippians and he's singing this song about Jesus, he's singing really about the humility of Jesus and how that shapes the way that he lives, but then also the obedience that comes out of that. You know, it's only because of Christ's humility that he could, even being God himself, actually give himself to dying on the cross for us. And so this incredible combination of humility and obedience is an ideal for us. I don't think I've seen the connection between the two so clearly until I read this passage again. And it made me realize that actually disobedience and living outside of the will of God or against the scripture is also then connected to arrogance or pride. So if humility leads to obedience, pride and arrogance will lead to disobedience. And that helps us because we know when we're being disobedient, don't we? I mean, even if it's just in the way we're kind of being selfish with other people, we realize there's a bit of a pride and an arrogance. It's not a humility that encourages us to humble ourselves and look out for the interests of others. Well, these last two verses of the passage, I think, also just kind of wrap it all up. And I'm creeping a little bit into what PJ is going to talk about next week. Uh, but let's take a look at verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You know, sadly, words like obedience and discipline have become sort of grinding or grating words. Words that actually mean that something's required of us and there's probably a gap that we can't close and we just have to work hard in order to do that. But that's actually not what the grace of God provides for us. It's not what the death of Jesus on the cross provides for us. All of that work is what was meant to pave the way for this obedience to not only be doable, but also a joy to find the fruit in it, to find the fulfillment and the satisfaction in it. And so as we humble ourselves and become obedient, it actually fills us in unique ways that selfishness and clawing and grasping for what we need or what we want um, empties us of. And so if I look at that incredible verse, it says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's so beautiful that we don't have to somehow find this desire or power somewhere else. It's actually been deposited in us as Christians. 
Those who follow Jesus have been infilled with the spirit that moves and motivates us toward obedience. And it is, it requires uh, uh, effort. It does require us leaning into it. It does require us laying hold of it, but it's there for the taking. And I think the thing that I come back to over and over again is at the top of this passage where Paul said, if there's any encouragement, if your hearts are at all tender, if you find anything that comes from the unity of the believers and being part of the faith community, then let these things well up in you and express themselves in this way. This gift really just elicits a response. And one of the last things I wanna do is show you a, a clip from a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. This is a, a movie about a, a man uh, who actually was homeless. Um, he had run into difficult financial times trying to launch a business and ultimately it put him uh, and his son on the streets for a year. Uh, he managed to get an unpaid internship and he was competing with 20 other stockbrokers in order to become a broker at this firm. And the chances, it would seem, of him actually securing a job were almost impossible. And this scene is at the end where he goes in just to do a bit of a review of his internship. So let's watch. I thought I'd uh, wear a shirt today, um, you know, being the last day and all. Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. But, um... Wear one tomorrow, though, okay? Because tomorrow's going to be your first day. If you'd like to work here as a broker. Would you like that, Chris? Yes, sir. Good. We couldn't be happier. So, welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no sir, it wasn't. Good luck, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Oh, Chris. I almost forgot. love about this scene is that here's this man who goes from destitution and bankruptcy and homelessness into this incredible opportunity that frankly he wasn't expecting or even feel like he deserved 
And, and it's so cool because you feel like you can just see on his face what he's thinking and feeling. And when he spills out into the street among the crowd, number one, he's just rejoicing. But number two, you can imagine his feeling isn't, now what else can I get from these people? You almost feel like he just wants to share what he's been given that he just wants to look to help whoever it is that he can. And I think that's what Paul is trying to express to us in this letter as he opens. If you've gotten any encouragement, if you've been fulfilled in any way, if your hearts are at all tender or compassionate, let this power of God working and moving in you move you to obedience because of the humility that comes from receiving such a powerful gift. That's what he wants for us. That's what brings unity in the body. It's what brings unity and patience and forgiveness and forbearance in our family and all of the relationships that we have. He's calling us to this in a, in, in a powerful way, and he's given us the power to do it as well. So as we close, why don't we just pray for these things? Ask God to continue to remind us of the picture and example of Jesus and how that works itself out in our daily lives. Lord, we just thank you so much that your word is living and active. And while it was so vital for the Philippian church during these times of persecution and strife, it's actually also vital now during the time of the coronavirus pandemic. And we just pray, Lord, that these lessons would continue to resonate and reverberate 2,000 years later, that it would conform us to the likeness of Jesus it would humble us and actually just free us into great obedience, the obedience that comes from knowing what we've been given and just desiring to please you in return. So we thank you. We ask for your help, Lord God, and we commit ourselves to living as Jesus among this world and these difficult times. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks, Monument. Appreciate you joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much, Eric, for opening up this outstanding passage of Scripture to us. I don't want to interfere with any application that the Holy Spirit is bringing you, but when I, when I think of application, I usually think of upward, inward, and outward. In terms of upward, like Paul, let's stop each day this week. Let's take a moment just to stop what we're doing and burst into thanks and praise to God. In terms of inward, is there any uh, attitude of humility that you need to freshly cultivate in any situation with any other person? And then when it comes to outward, let us not look only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Just take a moment now to think how you could look out for the interest of someone else. Could you call them? Could you drop something around at their house? Could you express love, express interest in them in some way? Let me pray for us as we go into this week together. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for Jesus uh, came to earth, died, buried and raised and now exalted at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus, we worship you. And we thank you for the work of God within us that we work out our salvation as you work within us. And I do pray, Lord, for each of us for Christ-like living in your strength in these days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have an excellent week ahead. Eyes on Jesus. Jesus.